I'm Michael Tamblin, CEO of the global ebook store Racton Kobo. Welcome to a special episode of Kobo in Conversation. This week, we have the pleasure of listening in on a conversation between Saeed Jones and Maxine Bailey, recorded in front of an audience as a part of Kobo in Conversation Live. If you've never heard of this before, often we bring authors into a live studio audience at the Kobo offices. There, they're sitting in front of employees from across the company, and uh, we're having a live dialogue, two chairs in front of a studio audience. Saeed Jones is the author of the memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives, winner of the 2019 Kirkus Prize for Nonfiction, and the poetry collection, Prelude to Bruise, winner of the 2015 Penn Joyce Osterweil Award for Poetry and the 2015 Stonewall Book Award. The collection was also a finalist in the 2015 National Book Critics Circle Award, as well as awards from Lambda Literary and the Publishing Triangle in 2015. Maxine Bailey is a dynamic member of Ontario's arts community. For 18 years, she served as the Vice President of Advancement at the Toronto International Film Festival. Maxine was the principal liaison and chief fundraiser for the organization's government partners, donors, and members in their support of TIFF and its year-round programming. A voracious reader, Maxine recently sat on the jury of the 2018 Scotiabank Giller Prize and was named one of Now Magazine's Toronto Local Heroes. Let's listen in as the two discuss Saeed's memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives, in which Jones tells the story of his life growing up as a young gay black man in the American South, fighting to carve out a place for himself, within his family, within his country, within his own hopes, desires, and fears. Enjoy. Hey guys. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Toronto. Thank you, thank you. Are we treating you nicely? Uh, yeah, it's been cute. It's been cute. Good. Cute. Yeah. Cute is a truly neutral. It's good. It's a good neutral. People, you know, often credit me for being, you know, they're like, you're candid, you're brave. You're, I'm like, what other option do I have? Look, you can see and hear very quickly if, you know, I'm lying or I'm, I don't like what's going on. I couldn't, I couldn't lie. Okay. It's great. I took it a different way because, I mean, puppies are cute. Puppies are cute. A city I don't see as cute. Oh, but, that's fine. Okay, okay, let's keep going. So, <laughs> give me five words that describe you. Uh, oh my, colorful, piercing, probably. Oh, is that a sex joke? Um, <laughs> <laughs> black, bold. Have I gotten to five? Yeah. Four. Okay. Yeah. Queer. Yeah, that matters. Good. Good. <laughs> Those would have been the five words I would have picked for you. Oh, okay. That's that's interesting. <laughs> so I want to know about your online moniker, Mister mm-hmm. Ferocity. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that. For me, I, I was interested in, so when I joined, I should say, when I joined Twitter in 2008, I was going into graduate school. The wonderful novelist, Tiari Jones, um, American Merit, she was one of my teachers in graduate school. She's actually known me since I was a junior in college. And so she had a blog about the writing life and I started a blog. She was on this thing called Twitter and I joined Twitter. And then around 2010, I ended up teaching high school and the youths are terrifying. Um, And so the philosophy was just going to be my secondary account where I would be myself. Uh And so it was like my name, my identifying information wasn't attached to it because I was teaching ninth and 12th grade English. Um, And so I had the opportunity at that point 
to kind of, you know, use that opportunity to create a persona. Mm. And at the time I was, and I still am, really interested in the way that Black, gay, particularly men in my interest in media, movies and TV in particular, are, you know, relegated to being the, the sidekick. There's, there's this like magical Negro, the fabulous right. magical Negro role right. where they exist to give advice and wisdom and don't let your boyfriend treat you and here's a better, right. and, then, and then that's it. And you they know, don't get to have sex. They don't get to have sex. They don't have, we don't know about their relationships, their families or anything. And, you know, so it was like that. And because I'm interested in politics and everything and the yes and the let's, I can talk, we can talk about Trudeau. We can, you know, all, I wanted that range. And then I liked ferocity because at the time, the way like yes or shade, you know, these words get picked up in media by straight people, by boring straight people. Um, <laughs> And lose their power, you know, and, and you can kind of feel like your language is being stolen from right. you. So, you know, at the time it was like fierce was one of those words. Right. And I was just watching all these straight people say, oh, that's fierce and that's fierce and right. that's fierce. And I looked at the definition of fierce and it's feral, wild, Ooh. dangerous. Ooh. I was like, ooh, you that's know, so, so that's where it all came from. I don't think about it so intensely now, but I do think it's interesting that, you know, from 2010, so here we are, you know, bordering 2020, that something I learned in the book is, you know, identity is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Ooh, and I think that's an example of it. True, mm-hmm. true, so true. So this book mm-hmm. is how we fight for our lives. And you fought for your life. Yeah, yeah. You fought to be where you are today. Absolutely. What do you want us to fight for? And mm-hmm. what, is, what do you want everybody to get from the book? Right. Thank you. I want everyone here... And all of the people that you, because of your jobs and your different platforms and your communities that you impact, understand that we are all fighting for our lives. Every single one of us, myself included. Just because I wrote the book doesn't mean I'm not fighting for my life anymore, right? And I believe that is just true universally. It's the one thing that I'm really willing to, you know, uh, that's the hill I'll die on. Um, and I think if you do not believe you're fighting for your life, you are like Daniel in the book. You're like me at certain points in the book. You know, I think when we believe like, oh, I'm not struggling, right? I'm not, everything's fine. And we've all done it, right? Everything's okay. What are you talking about? You know, and you are like treading water. (laughs) Oh my, everything's fine. Everything's great. We've done that. And, you know, I certainly experienced in real time that dynamic, but working on the book for 10 years, basically from the earliest version of the essays to what it became, um, and just having to look at myself as a character and, you know, family members and everything, I just saw like, oh, this is so interesting. You know, Saeed, you just, you really thought you had it figured out. You thought you could, you know, yell and command and bravado and, and have sex and all of these different things and write poems out of the dynamic. I had so much sex. We cut out whole okay. chapters whole chapters okay. and my editor and i was like why i was like this is a great sentence. he was like i understand I mean, he just, he's very my editor is very nice wonderful person uh, and he just said we're not learning anything else <laughs> okay fine yeah okay. yeah okay. a lot of sense <laughs> so um you dedicate this book to your mom yes yes uh her name's carol jean sweet Joe. Yeah, good name. It's a lovely name. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's almost lyrical. Mm-hmm. Tell me about her. Um, so, you know, both sides of my family are originally from Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, my mom uh, raised me as a single parent. 
She worked for Delta Airlines my entire life. When I was, before I was born and when uh, I was younger, she was a flight attendant, which I think is important in that, you know, we can't, we come from, you know, working class, kind of paycheck to paycheck family. Um, but there are a lot of, and I now know more so, you know, a lot of people who, having worked in the airlines, you know, have gotten to see the world. Mm-hmm. And, and, and though maybe they're still living paycheck to paycheck and everything, they, they've been out there and they bring that worldliness, a word that comes into the book at one point, they bring it into their lives, you know? And my mom was like that, you know, every night dinner, it was like a different cultural influence. You know, she was always studying, we might have Mexican food one night and the next night she would make Korean curry, you know what I mean? And then, you know, fried chicken, the other, you know, it was just all, she was just curious about the world. Um, she read three newspapers a day. My mom, she was, a, she was very beautiful, very stylistic. She loved makeup. And I just like, I would watch her put on her makeup and try it on when she was gone um, and all of that. But something that always cracked me up is that she had her purse, like the cute fashionable purse. And then she had what I called her bag, this big, <laughs> ugly leather black bag that would have the three newspapers she read every single day. Every single day she read the Dallas Morning News, the USA Today, which I was like, girl, why? Um, <laughs> and, and the New York Times every single day. And it would just be full. And then there was like old magazine shoved in right. there. And then she'd be reading, what was it? Two Crafton's The Alphabet Murders. You know, all of that. And she, with her everywhere. And we'd get on a plane and she'd be bumping every passenger, you know, <laughs> and just so crazy. But I think that's like important to think mm-hmm. about, you know, like, because, you know, when I was selling the book, you know, I would say I was raised by a black single mother, we were living paycheck to paycheck. And you see the thought bubble, yeah, right? Like, kind of go, yeah. Got you in the box. Yeah, I mean, publishing in the United States is still 89% white. So here I'm assuming 95% white in Canada. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you, you, you want to go, wait a minute. Like, it's not, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, let me bring some of the nuance. So I brought that to the book. And then, you know, um, through another friend of hers who also worked for Delta and traveled, um, she was introduced to Nichiren Buddhism. She chanted Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Oh. It was like Tina Turner in the movie. I watched that damn movie so much as a kid. <laughs> I loved it. And Tina and I actually had the same birthday, November 26th. So okay. it was a lot of kinship. But, you know, um, she, she started practicing Nichiren Buddhism in her 20s before I was born. And so that's another dynamic you see in the book. Oh. Like, and this happens all the time, right? Where there are these existing family wars, basically, that we end up being born into. And we don't know what's going on. You know, and you're just like, I'm just, I'm trying to get my Christmas present or whatever. And here's this hot or you know for me i felt like at the big it's a cold war there are a lot of silences you know and then it explodes you know at one point in the book for me um but yeah that's that's who we were so your buddhist mom Mm -hmm. you catch her one time Mm -hmm. dancing around yes to a song (laughs) that you see your mom Mm -hmm. not being your mom Mm -hmm. but being a woman yes talk to me how old were you when that happened yeah that was i was a i was a kid so i that was like i don't know 10 or so. I'll say, I just, that was one of the times. My mom was always, I, just last night, were we doing, just the other day, I was looking up um, the Kelly Clarkson song, Walk Away, mm-hmm. came out, I think, around my senior year. Anytime it came on, my mom was at the front of the room dancing. And, I, and then, you know, of course, the more embarrassed you are, the, the louder she starts. Right. So that was her. So yeah, I captured her dancing to Prince's I Want to Be Your Lover. I did that in part because just as the, I used the title to make it clear from the very beginning, this isn't just about me, this is about us. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that this book is not a vacation from your identity. In the same way, I, I used the poem to introduce the idea that my mother is her own person. She's not a literary device. Her humanity uh, and her life story has value beyond me, mm-hmm. you know, um, because, you know, I'm obviously I'm a gay man if you haven't 
picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, we, are we all good? We made it okay. there together. But, you know, I, I, I just, I see books, I see movies and narratives created by men of all sexualities. And, and the women in their lives, I think, are often treated like columns. Mm. They're treated like architecture. Um, and they're, they're there because, you know, she held me down and she sacrificed. And, and yes, she did all of that, but she was her own person. So I felt and, and it was one, nice to get an inkling of a, a dash of it. Yeah. Single mother trope. Yeah. It was just like the joy to Prince. Yeah. And then when you start looking at the words in that particular What a song, sexy song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even when I went back and looked at the lyrics, I, they were actually bolder than I remembered. Because you know what I mean? I was like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Oh yeah. I want to be were. the only one that makes you come line break running. <laughs> So good. And that was your so mom. So good. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> okay, so you, you know, your mom was working hard. Yeah. And trying to look after both of you. Mm-hmm. And during the summer of 98, you spent a lot of time alone. Yeah. While your mom was at work. Mm-hmm. And it was the summertime and you're hanging out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of spy these, you know, neighborhood kids playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's one young man that caught your eye. <laughs> both eyes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's talk about what your both eyes thought. Yeah, yeah, Cody. I mean, you know, he, you know, he was the first crush, uh, or rather, the first crush where I even had an opportunity to mess up, as I do mm. very quickly. But yeah, he, he and his brother. Um, I lived in a big apartment complex. I li- we lived literally lived on Main Street in Louisville, Texas, home of the Louisville High School Fighting Farmers. Like metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. Okay, it's just like so basic. It's like okay. the most basic right. American. Like, whatever. Um, and yeah, they lived, you know, a few buildings over. And uh, I would see them playing. And I just had a crush on Cody. We were the same age. And yeah, I mean, he ended up being the first person that I remember. I, I always hold that memory is an unreliable narrator. So that I remember calling me a gay slur. And... But you, at one point, you thought he was going to be your friend. Right? Yeah, we would, we would like hang out, you know, and I think kids do this, you know, and particularly, you know, I'm turning, we're turning 12. And so, you know, your social patterns start to change. And so you end up that thing where it's like, well, I'll hang out with you like when we're at home during the summer or after school in the apartment complex. But if you see me in the cafeteria at school, don't you, you stay over there. You know, that was our kind of, and then, you know, later I realized I did the same thing. And I think I mentioned at one point when I see, and this is by chance, I mean, a formative summer in all kinds of ways, but Matthew Shepard will be killed that October. Right. And James Byrd Jr., a black man, was killed by three white supremacists that June, four hours from where I was living. All of this is happening at once. Um, but I, rem- I note that at one point when I finally saw Matthew Shepard's photo, I had the same thought. I was like, but oh, what a sweet kid. I'd hang out with him at after school, but I wouldn't hang out with him at school because I would be embarrassed. You know, like kids have such an innate hierarchy, a hierarchy, and they yes, and they understand power. They really do. Like that, they they are always like, who's on top, who's on bottom. They're really, you know, they feel it. It's it's all they think about. And why wouldn't they? You know, um, it's the only thing they understand. So you and your mom, because she's such a news junkie, Mm -hmm. and you're watching the news, and Mm -hmm. she comes home, and then that's when you hear about James being dismembered, horrible, horrible. I don't know. Yeah, do you just touch on that? Sure, sure. I mean, it was formative because it became, um, so the the federal hate crimes law, which took like 15 years, by the way, in the United States to become law, is based on James Virginia and Matthew Shepard. Their names were in the law. 1998, 2019, it like just happened a couple of years ago, by the way. He was, lived in Jasper, Texas. 
he accepted a ride home from work because it was hot, incredibly hot in Texas in June, and he couldn't, you know, didn't have a car, from three strangers at a gas station. They turned out to be white supremacists. They beat him up. And when he was, I guess, you know, about to pass out, you know, but still alive, they chained him to the back of their pickup truck. And yeah, it's like Oprah, Oprah was like, she covered this a lot because she happened to be in Texas at the time doing a series of episodes. Um, they chained him to the back of the truck and dragged him for miles um, until his body literally came apart. And that's that June. So it's like first chapter is like, you see me and Cody and figure this out and you turn the page and you're like, whoa, you know, and, but that whoa is what it felt like, you know, and I think it, it is what it feels like for so many people. I mean, I went back to Dallas for the book tour last month um, and, you know, teachers were there and, and family members. And just what, two or three days later, a young black woman was shot and killed in her home. The same area in Fort Worth, Texas, Atiana Jefferson, a police officer shot her within four seconds. And she was playing a game. Playing video house. games with her nephew. And somebody shot her through the window. Mm -hmm. And she, she think about that. It's, it was like three or four o'clock in the morning in Texas where everybody's got a gun. Everybody's got a gun. And, you know, she hears something outside her house. What's going on? And so she goes to get the gun that she legally owned. And someone, sh the cop, shoots her from outside her house in four seconds. You know what I mean? And that was just after I'd been talking about James Bird Jr. So I say that that woe dynamic. Yeah, that sense of feeling just knocked about where the personal the political and kind of the national story, it's all happening at once. We see this with Me Too, right? I mean, of course, you know, people are experiencing sexual harassment and, and violence at work in the relationship, and then you turn on the news and it's there too, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, you wrote, being black can get you killed, mm -hmm. being gay can get you killed. Being a black gay boy is mm -hmm. a death wish. Right. And one day, if you're lucky, your life and death will become some new artist new project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That really, especially after just reading about James and mm -hmm. Shepard and you and your mom watching it right. in that moment. Mm -hmm. And your mom chose to get up and go mm -hmm. to her she room. She turned off the TV. She yeah. turned off the TV and went to her room. Mm -hmm. What did you do? I went to my room too. Yeah. I, I think it's, and you see that a few times in the book. Part of it was just the way our apartment was laid out. The living room was in the middle. The bookcase with the books that, you know, James Baldwin, that becomes very important. And then our, our um, bedrooms are on opposite sides. And yeah, I mean, we would just retreat. We would just we retreat. retreated separately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think someone in Boston said that she was like, do you think, you know, part of the reason you and your mother struggled to talk about sexuality, which mm -hmm. becomes that, is because she was tired? I said, Yeah. You know, there's a class element, you know, where, you know, everybody doesn't have time to be reading all these great books and studying up on culture. And you know what I mean? Like some people are just trying to pay bills. Right. And, you know, it, for a lot of my childhood, my mom was working two jobs. She would work right. at the airport all day long at DFW airport. And then she would work at the makeup counter at the department store at the mall. You know what I mean? And that's why I had so much you, you had time. time. Yeah, that's what that's what she was doing when I was off with Cody or or often reading, you know, reading all of these books. Yeah. So going back to Baldwin, you mentioned. Yeah. So you discover mm -hmm. James Baldwin. Yeah, another country. Another country. Woo! What a moment. What How a time. Old How old are you? You're quite young. I was 12. Wow. Uh-huh. I had to look it up. I had to do, it was right. like, like, you know, do the math and da 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 uh, right. Yeah, yeah. That was a big book. It and was mind-blowing. Well. And it's interesting, you know, I, I've, I've reread it since. It's, not, it's actually not my favorite novel of his. Like, I, I reread, I've read Giovanni's Room probably like five or six mm -hmm. times now. I've only read um, Another Country a couple of times. But as an adult, I'm struck by the incredible violence in the book, which 
knowing what we know, mm -hmm. it feels like foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, and when I talk to young people, it's somewhat similar. Like for young people, they're just like, I don't know. Like I was talking to a woman the other day, black woman, and she said, you know, just seeing black people working in marketing and the movie Boomerang when, I, when she mm -hmm. was a kid, yeah. she was like, that was a big deal. She's, I didn't know black people could work in marketing or advertising. Mm -hmm. You know, just, or, or just, she was like, you know, I know the, the Cosby's and like for everything, but she right. was like, it did matter, a black doctor, a black lawyer. Right. So for me reading another country, I was like, white people are having sex with black people. I didn't know you could do that, you know? And then, it, you know, a character, the main character is, is bisexual, is mm. queer. You know, he's having sex with women. And I was like, okay. And then he's having sex with men. And I was like, whoa. And then he's having sex with women again. I was like, wait a minute now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I think when you're a kid like that, the, the representation and, you know. It does matter. It does matter. It does it's matter. actually not nuanced at all. You're just like, it's possible, you know. And so I, I thought I was going to get in trouble for reading it, uh, which was why I kept reading right. it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I would love I would love some twelve year old kid you know in, in the suburbs of Toronto you know, being like when, when you look at the content yeah the book, uh -huh. you know the amount of sex uh -huh. that was in the book mm -hmm. do you think there are going to be young children oh yeah around absolutely to figure it out oh yeah how they can continue mm -hmm. fighting for their lives yeah I hope so. So oh, you so. read in the book, you something drops out of the book. Yes. So talk to us about that. And the talk Polaroid. To us about how your mom right. dealt with that. Yeah, so there was I find a Polaroid in the book. It's uh, a forbidden book. It's a forbidden book. Something hidden. Something's hidden. And it was like used as like a bookmark, I guess. Um, because my mom went to college for a few semesters and kept a lot of those books. I think this is one of those books. And there was a photo dated like Jackson, Mississippi, which is pretty close to Memphis, Tennessee, where we you know, we're born and from. Um, and there was a picture of a guy, it was like 1982 or something. It was dated on the back. And I didn't recognize him, this man. And, um, but tribal recognition is real. You can find your people. And I was just really curious about it. And so when my mom got home from work that day, um, and, I, and mind you, I'm hiding another country under my pillow when I go out to talk to her. So, you know, um, and I'm like, who's this man? And, and she, you know, she's coming home from work. It's June, it's hot. She's exhausted. She's like, literally, can you like, wait a second a uh, but of course i didn't and i'm like who is he and she eventually learned that they were friends when she was younger they went on road trips that was one of them um and then she's like trying to end the con and i'm like what you know and she finally was like and then he found out he was sick and he killed himself and she walks out of the room um which is what my mom would do when she was like i'm actually done with the conversation because i would not stop asking i was very very inquisitive and I was just like, sick of what? I was so confused. Um, what, what did one have to do with the other? He looks very young. Um, and she says AIDS, and she closes her bedroom door. It, uh, my, it's a grenade drop. She was very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> and she was very dramatic. Oh, yeah. okay. Whoa, girl. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so you kept on reading more Baldwin mm -hmm. and Toni Morrison yeah. and things like that. And at one point, you talked about Baldwin feeling a bit like jazz. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, you know, it was a, what drew me you to were 12. Was, <laughs> what did you know about that? Oh, music is a big in my family. Oh, it was really big. I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch MTV um, until late middle school or something. So, but I could, I could quote Anita Baker, book, verse, and chapter. You know what I mean? Like Tina, Shaka Khan, all of Sly and the Sylvester, all of it. Yeah. I, so I was really well versed in music. It was the okay, one thing. Yeah, and it was, and I guess the other thing, it was just sexy. I didn't know books were 
could be sexy, could be cool. Because of course the books that you get in school when you're a kid are decidedly not cool, generally. You know, they, they're often by dead white people. They're not by people like you. They're not writing about, if you're a black kid, they're not writing about people who remind you of your family members. And Baldwin did. And later when I found, found Sula, I was like, oh my gosh, kind of, Sula kind of reminds me of my mom. Huh. I hadn't seen a woman depicted in a book and I knew, you know, I didn't understand the Nobel, you know, but I understood that Toni Morrison was a big deal because she was on the, the posters in the library at school. So I knew that this was important. Right. And here's a woman that reminds me of the women I come from. And I was right. like, oh, you can do that. Yeah. So let's go back to libraries. There's a lot of stuff out there. <laughs> <It's a library laughs> Multi-purpose space. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in, in the library, mm -hmm. it play, they, they play a big role in your life. They do. You researched being gay. Mm -hmm. Rather unsuccessfully. Yeah. Yeah. Mixed results. So there was like... Oh, I mean, that you didn't want to yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, and this is an important lesson. I, I didn't, and I think I was wrong. I mentioned that I didn't trust the librarian so you went to ask her. Research. So I did it on my own. And I now know that I bet she would have. You know, I know a lot of librarians right. and teachers and booksellers who are like, here you go, baby. Right. Don't tell your parents. Here you go. But you, you know did I mean? your own research. I did my own research. and Not very well. Uh -uh. But you also had your first yep. sexual encounter. Woo, we're fast forwarding. This isn't all in happening when I'm 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same library, which is, which is funny because in Louisville, um, the, it's a suburb of about 80,000 people. How old are you? You like, this is, I was like a sophomore in high school, 15, okay. 15, 15, 15. The library is where City Hall is, where the police department is, where the, it's all in the same complex. Uh -huh. And uh, I started using the computers. We finally get the internet about a couple of chapters into the damn book. <laughs> Thank goodness we didn't like have it on our phones here. It would have been a very different book. But yeah, we, and so I go and I was very unsuccessful. I've been trying to find anything gay on these computers. And it's like, ad blocker, ad blocker. But I was like, mm -hmm. when honestly, when people are like, you're, you know, good at, I'm good at Twitter. And I think that's where it came from. My comfort was just because I was like, and uh, like basically a dad um, walked in and sat at the computer next to me. And I hadn't noticed. I was so, and I just heard someone say, are you into that? Wow. And I almost jumped out of the chair. <laughs> I was terrified. I thought I was in trouble. And, and my mind is racing on like, what, is, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And before I can answer, he says, I'm into that too. Wow. You know, 15 years old. And he, he was- And he how was, old is he? He looks like, a, now, now that I'm an adult, I'd probably say he's probably in his mid thirties. But at the time I was like, oh no, he looked like he was 50. You know, because kids became <laughs> so old. But he, he looked like he was, you know, married. I eventually noticed a wedding ring. You know, I probably had kids. I'm very, very much of a type of where I grew up, of the dads I grew up around. And so we go into the public, or he tells me to meet him in the, in the restroom. And, and I went. Slow down slightly. <laughs> so you mm -hmm. are doing something that you know is yeah. going to be found on, uh -huh. digging up through the internet. Totally. Trying to find out if you're gay or oh, not, yeah. or how gay are you. Mm -hmm. That's what you're trying to mm -hmm. do. And then this possibly strange man comes to sit, and grown up. Oh, yeah. Comes to sit beside mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. and invites you to a bathroom. Yep. You don't even think twice. I do. I do. I was like, is this, you know, um, one dynamic, one motif you see is me going anytime, sadly, anytime anyone is nice, generally, if you include this as being nice, um, my impulse is, is this a trap? Right. Cody, when he's like, let's, let's go right, hang yeah. out. I'm like, is this a trap? And it was. Yeah, I still go. but I still go. I mean, you know, I think, I mean, you know, what is it to be young? You know, I mean, that is part of it, that, that young people, it's why our 
as adults, our silence, our refusal to talk to think, talk to young people about things that we think are difficult or too much is just dumb and dangerous because I'm telling you, they're going to do it anyway. If they don't get the answers from you, if they don't feel you or someone they can talk to them, they're going to figure it out and you don't know who they're going to go to. Right. You know, and I, I think that's really important. You know, it is all difficult. It is, it is inherently awkward talking to young people about sex. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. But and you hadn't talked to your mom mm -mm. at all. It was a total silence. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, but I, I felt I had so many questions and so much desire. You know, it felt like a, you know, I think to be a young person, it feels you get to a point in puberty and you know, desire it feels like a contained explosion. You know, you're just like, I gotta do something. You know what I mean? And yeah. And then so if you add the dynamic of, of being a black gay kid in the mm -hmm. suburbs of North Texas mm -hmm. in nineteen ninety-eight, marriage equality at the time, I mean so my junior year of high school is the Lawrence v. Texas Supreme Court decision in the United States. That is the law that until my, I was a junior in high school, it was technically illegal for people to have sex with someone of the same gender. And I knew that. I knew that as a high school student, that like technically, if I were in intercourse with another man and police walk into, we could get charged with sodomy. You know, so that is the culture in which I grew up in. So it's like, yeah, I understand it's scary now, but you have to understand the context in which someone goes, I like that too. That is such a power, it's like a lighthouse, you know, in, in kind of the darkness that I, I felt, you know, uh -huh. that our desire to connect, mm -hmm. whether that is sex, whether that's a conversation, whether that's art, it is so powerful. And I think we have to honor that because if we don't, we, like you see in the book, right, that there's a pattern where I end up in like really dangerous situations. Yeah. Yeah. So... We're not going to dwell on mm -hmm. your, the, the library other than you're going to tell us your great relationships. It's great. I, we're, we're all good. To go. We're all good now. Okay. <laughs> so you mentioned your mom being a Buddhist. Yeah. But your grandmother's not a Buddhist. Super not. You spend summers with your grandmother. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So talk to me about that dichotomy because yeah. you've got your Buddhist mom who, who you chant together with mm -hmm, your mom. Mm -hmm. And are you currently a Buddhist? Not really. I don't practice it. And I think if, if you're, you need to practice Buddhism, like my mom would chant twice a day and I don't, I don't do that, but it's a life philosophy mm -hmm. that I certainly draw from. But yeah, I mean, you Let's know, about your grandma. totally so different. So super different. Um, Mildred is not a storyteller. She's not a joker. She hates cooking. She really, honestly, she, she usually votes pretty conservatively. You know, she preferred to like sit in the corner and like read the Bible and mind her business and that's it. And, um, but, but she's incredibly passionate about her faith. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I think a lot of parents, but certainly single parents come to rely on their, you know, broader family to help raise. And listen, kids not in school, like for the holidays in the summer, that's a really expensive time for, for working class parents because the kids are there all day long and boys especially just eat everything in the refrigerator on the first day of summer vacation. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? Right. So she sent me to stay with my grandmother and done that every summer. And, and so that cold war I mentioned over right. faith, by the time I was 12, 13 or so, 14, it wasn't cold anymore. Because I think what happened was that they'd given up on my mother, on saving my mother. Mm -hmm. But because I'm a teenager now, I'm starting to talk back. And, you know, all of those right. things, you know, they felt like this urgency, my grandmother in particular, this is the summer. We've got to save right. them. So, you know, I was used to going, it was like, when you go to Memphis, you go to church. Right. Fine. But they started going to a different church, uh, an evangelical church, right. a white church in the suburbs. So it was culturally different too. And they, she started to double down on you. Double church. down. She doubled down. Triple. On I mean, we were going to church, I think like 
four or five days a week, not including Sundays. That's like the whole week. I told someone the other day, I was like, honestly, all, my memories of that summer, like I would be at the apartment complex pool, uh-huh. which you see at one point. Right. I would be reading, because Oprah, this is what Oprah starts having Toni Morrison on. Right. So I was reading The Bluest Eye, struggled right. with it. I, was, I didn't understand it. And then we would go to church. That was my whole summer, you know? Good time. Yeah, it was a hoot. Good time. <laughs> okay. And if I mention Mark Wahlberg to you, what does that conjure up for you? Uh, I mean, the Calvin Klein ad... He's, he's a complicated figure. Do you know the whole thing with Mark Wahlberg? About him being Mark and Mark and yeah. model. Yeah, and so then, I... And then also being the idol. Like right, right. Also, do you know he committed a horrible hate crime? No, I did mm-hmm. not know Yeah, that. yeah. There's all these things. I mean, that's what's, so, that's what's like how we... There were all these things that were just natural occurrences in my life, right? But then they had bigger meaning. So for me, as a kid, I, that summer, I, my grandmother found... I'd ripped out of my, one of my mom's magazines, the infamous... It's still pretty... Old, it's oh, hot. Yeah, um, the Calvin Klein ad where he's grabbing himself. I mean, what, go, look up. He actually did the fashion show, and he's like grabbing himself on the runway, which is like still. I'm like, wow. Um, so I kept that, and my grandmother found it and freaked out. But yeah, when he was a teenager, him and his brother violently attacked an Asian American man in, in Boston, and and they kind of got off because they were like juveniles. But isn't that something like that this image of desire is connected to the violence? desire because mm-hmm. you have to struggle for you mm-hmm. Absolutely. The book, right? yeah. so i mean we can kind of move on yeah. i wanted to kind of get to um a lot of stuff that i you, love this you had a lot of first oh we've got to don't want to, no we can't talk about any more sex okay well i was going to mention the botanist oh girl let's get that <laughs> you want to skip it no i mean i would say the botanist you i think what's the lesson there is toxic relationships are not linear so do you want me to kind of sure, give a, yeah. so the lovely Saeed, um, yeah. who, you know, as young people do, they make some good choices, right. some bad choices. Saeed met this gentleman, and I would say that would be a bad choice. Bad choice. Um, bad dude. But they had hot sex. Was, uh, That's all you really need to know about mm-hmm. that. Read the rest of them. Yeah. Very complicated. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So we're not going <laughs> to talk about him. Um, we are going to touch on briefly, when we were backstage, you were talking about you know, the coming out. Oh, yeah. So we do have to just say. Sure. All this time that you've been going on. Yeah. You've been having these mm-hmm. great, you know, you've had this thing with your grandmother. She found the Mark Wahlberg thing. You've had some instances with your mom. Mm-hmm. But you've never really told her mm-hmm. that you are gay. Yeah. I think. What was, and you're in university now. Yeah, I was a, a freshman in, in university. I, Freshman in university. I'm so proud to use this Canadian lingo briefly. Uh, it's very exciting uh, for me. Yeah. My, so my mom and I, so here's the thing. My mom and I had a wonderful, vibrant relationship. But queerness and sexuality, I think because of her upbringing, right? And, and just the time and all these different things. It was a silence. It was the one thing, it was like the one thing we couldn't talk about. But everything else was great. And what happens, I think, when we have these dynamics with family members is that it only becomes more difficult to talk about it. Because then you're like, well, why ruin a good party, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where you're like, well, you didn't talk about it. And sometimes you bring it up and people say, well, you didn't talk about it. And you're like, it was hard. You know, so that's what it was for us. And I I remember being like, do you think she knew? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I was on book tour and I saw one of my middle school English teachers. And and she was like, I didn't even finish the question. She's like, yes. Yes, I knew you were gay in the seventh grade. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing, but the thing that freaked me out was like, what if she doesn't handle it well? What if? What do you, you know, think was going to happen? 
I don't. I mean, the, the, you. I think about worst case scenarios. What if she never speaks to me again? What if she, you know? What if what if our wonderful relationship, for what it is, is ruined? You know. And instead, she was like, it was pretty good. She was like, I, okay. You know. She was like, are you using protection? Are you having? I was like, yeah, yeah. She's like, okay. And then she calls me back later and was like, I forgot to, you know, I forgot to say, love you. I love you. And that's when I started crying. And and then she just said, you seem like you're happy. And, and that's what matters, you know, but then you see in the next couple of years, something that I don't think just gay people experience this, particularly like in the United States, I think like Thanksgiving's coming up and the holidays where you go back into the closet. Well, I think most people mm-hmm. tend to behave where they show their family. The right. Self, right. Yeah. We think that we think when you're with your family, that's what it is to be polite or to behave. Right. But often we're closeting ourselves or silencing ourselves, right? I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm not going to talk about this issue that I'm really struggling with because wouldn't that be rude? We struggle with that. And so, yeah, my mom and I, we just kind of went back to our corners. Right. Even after I'd come out, it was really difficult. Yeah. And so you never really shared with your mom, mm-hmm. like any boyfriends? Or- no. Which was a shame. I mean, it got a, in graduate school, it got a little better in part because at one point I finally wrote her a letter. I, w- I went home for like winter break at one point and it wore me out the whole time. And I wrote a letter on my last day that I was like, men are trash and I'm dating them. Uh, <laughs> and you dated them too. So like, I need advice. You know what I mean? I was like, listen, I, and I try to be very careful. I, my mom raising me as a single parent, I think it was just a fact of life. I don't think it's a, a value judgment, but I was like, you are a single parent and I don't have another parent to talk to about this. And like, this is happening in real time. You know, and really the questions, I, it was simple stuff, you know, like who should pay on a date? How do you know if a guy, like mm-hmm. truly, how do you know if a guy is a good guy? Mm-hmm. Is it enough for a guy to be attracted to you? How do you know? When, when's a good time to say, I love you? Just the simple, basic Basically. stuff, you know, but I think. Did, you, did she have to respond to that? She did. Oh my gosh. She got did back to me right away. Oh, that's a good question. I think she wrote me a letter too. I think she wrote me a letter too. I mean, you know, I think, I, I think, I mean, one, you know, I, I think in some ways my mom and I have a literary heritage. Mm. You know, she was a very passionate reader. Yeah. And, and also I think just, you know, I think all the time, sometimes we, it's easier to write a letter or an email than right. to like talk to someone in person. Yeah. Okay. So everybody here is going to read the book because okay. you're. It's quite good. And it is quite good if he doesn't say so himself. (laughs) But I do want to touch on a couple of things because you are quite uh, the Twitterer. So, you know, you've been tweeting all on this trip. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing I was most excited when you tweeted a couple of months ago was you wanted everybody to get together and rescue Meghan Markle. Can we talk about that? Indeed we can. Are you, is it you and the Wakanda we, army? I, just every, I think we might. Listen, so, it's going to take everybody. Okay. It's going to take everybody. Talk to us about Megan, because you've got some very strong thoughts about her. Yeah, I mean, so part of it's so complicated. How much time do you have? Are we good? Are we is good? it like 7 p.m.? You want us to oh, We're good? We're good? Up? Okay. Okay, good. Because good. Good. I'm like, listen. So here's the thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. First thing, you got to understand generationally. I'm 33. So I grew up with Prince Harry and, and his brother and William. You know, I remember, and it's not in the book, but I remember going to a wedding actually with my mom and walking into the apartment and she was standing in front of the TV and we were watching CNN and found out what had happened to their mother. Mm-hmm. And obviously, listen, that's something that matters mm-hmm. to me. Boys and their mom, like I get, okay. You know, so I, I've seen what they experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the beautiful transcendence, particularly Harry. I think the way he talks about mental health 
The, I mean, that is no easy thing. There are people who have far less, you know, to lose or gain who won't admit that they've struggled with grief or, or depression, you know? And so I do admire that. I think he's done some life work. Right. And she seems like she has too. And she's quite you know, lovely. She's, uh, Toronto kind of claimed her. Oh, good. She lived here for quite some time. Oh, while, lovely. I didn't know that. Okay, suit. good. Well, I'm so glad I'm on the right side of history. And I love suits. Oh, my God. Okay, okay I won't. But I just, oh, my God. Oh, okay. my God. Okay. Okay. What a show. Okay. So knowing all of that, and then just listen, I think it is, you know, I can just, I say, I feel very confidently as a black person in the way that I said, and I feel as a queer person, we know when racism is a foot. And I don't care what you say. You can, you can come up with all these media narratives, you know, people, people, whiteness is very eloquent and very creative. We know what's going on. You know what I mean? And I think the only, and this happens all the time, and that's the whole thing with the royal family. They become avatars for whatever we are working through. I get that. We're using them to talk about things that we, for whatever reason, don't talk to each other about. But the only thing that's more painful than racism or homophobia is the gaslighting. Mm -hmm. When it's like, you just slapped me in the face, and now you're going, why aren't you smiling? Mm -hmm. And you go, you just slapped me. No, I didn't. That's what it feels like. We all, it's painful. Misogyny and people are gaslighting. Publicly, publicly, and Kate seems lovely, but I mean, one, in any scenario where women are being framed in this, that's toxic and not healthy. It's evil, frankly. And then obviously, yeah, the fact that she's Black, that is totally so much of the subtext of what's going on. And people, you know, all the other, I just don't buy it. And beyond all of that, I think it's mean. Mm -hmm. And to go back to where I started with, I mean, so for her, that's a lot. Could you imagine being Prince Harry? Like, just, really, just as a person. I get he's a royal, like, what, and I don't, I'm not down with that. <laughs> Colonialism, it kind of sucks. <laughs> kind of trashy. Uh, <laughs> so, like, don't, don't get me wrong, but just imagine just as a person, you lost your mother in the way you lost your mother because the media chased her to her death. Could you imagine just waking up this morning and being like, is it going to happen to the mother of my child now? And that be a somewhat reasonable concern. That's not out of left field. That would keep me in that bed. Mm -hmm. Keep me holding her and holding that cute little baby. How do you, oh my gosh. And so, you, yeah. Your tweet said that you Ugh. wanted to go rescue yes. Megan, Harry, and the baby. All of What's his name? Back. Archie? He can come too. Well, come on, Archie. <laughs> come on, baby. Yeah, I just, you know, I just feel... Listen, you know, I wrote a book called How We Fight for Our Lives. My mom, as you see in the book, like, she, she died way too young of a heart attack the night before Mother's Day. I understand that these are things that, are, that matter to me. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I leap into them. But listen, life is so hard. It always has been. Not just like the last few years. It's always been difficult. But I think we, are, I think we have a better conversation about how hard things are now. And knowing that, if you can spare cruelty, shouldn't you? Yeah. That's just what I think. If, you, if you feel some, if you are somewhat aware of the control you have, over a situation, in which case the media has a lot. Don't you want to spare cruelty? You know, I spend time by myself because part it's difficult to like. You don't. You, and a friend, I'm glad, told me who lost her mom. She was like, "Listen, you don't want to uh, look up at brunch on Mother's Day Sunday, and you're surrounded by families with their moms. You don't want that. So plan. So mm -hmm. I, I, I might take a little trip out of town, or say I, I try to pay attention mm -hmm. to how I feel. I might have dinner with a friend, I plan for it. Mm -hmm. And I give myself space to feel however I feel. Mm -hmm. And it's different all the time because grief is, I said this yesterday in an interview, but grief is really queer and it, it doesn't care about time. 
you know, so the example, totally. I always tell people like, if you've experienced deep grief, you know, you could walk to the the little cafe back there and someone could walk by wearing a cologne that might remind you of like an uncle that was beloved, you know, and you're like tears in your eye. You're like, I was just trying to get coffee, you know? So grief doesn't care. Um, And so I think all we can do is kind of know that and, and let it, let it ride out. Um, You did have one comment. I've got two, two more questions. Okay. This is really, you had a comment about a Canadian politician who chose unwisely around a Halloween costume. Oh my God. And you also tweeted about He's ruined hot politicians for me. I just, I'm watching Watch, are any of you watching Watchmen right now? No, it's really good. Thank you. Ruined the senator because I was like, he's hot. It's trash. I can't trust him. Reminds me too much of Justin Trudeau. Because he was like, what, three times? Three times, my dude? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and then one more question. Okay. Um, I've got like 85. The lightning round. I love it. Has the book been optioned yet? You're the only person crafty enough to ask. People are interested. (laughs) People are interested. I'm willing. I'm always willing to hear people out. I am. But I, this isn't just a book, right? This it's is your life. It's my life. And it's my mother's life. And it's and your family's My family's life. life. My grandmother, Mildred, she's read the book. She's very supportive, you know? She never told me not to. And so I feel such a responsibility. So, I mean, there is something interesting when yeah. you're writing about yourself and yeah. other people. Uh-huh. You have to be yeah. loyal or honest to those uh-huh. people. Yeah. But if you humor me and your book option, who would play you? Ooh! Now you want to play that game now, don't you? Well, that's not that. Cause that's just <laughs> fun. That's just fun. I mean, I feel like for a younger, because it have to be several play people. You. You play your mom. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I mean, part of it is I. I think these are great opportunities for new actors. For, for the young side, I don't know who that would be. It would be some brilliant kid that none of us have heard of, and then we're like obsessed. Kind of like Stranger Things. It's like, oh, we didn't or know these kids, and now you're like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So something like that. I love um, Andre Holland. He was he's in Moonlight. He plays mm-hmm. the, the the love interest in Moonlight, um, and is in something right now I can't remember. And then oh, who was it the other day where I was like, oh, he's pretty cool. Oh, a Broadway actor whose last name is escaping me. Play mom. Mom, that's hard. It's hard because uh, younger. I mean, of course, I want to be like Angela Bassett, you know, because right. I'm a black gay man. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you see my mom when she's younger. So I don't know. I love Regina King. But the same thing. I just see that it's not really an answer. I'm just like, who do I stand? Which is like <laughs> every black woman in Hollywood. <laughs> and I did have one other question because now you've got super fans like oh, no. Roxanne Gay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Jacqueline Woodson. Okay. Those women love you. Yeah, I love them. You're, you're, they're besotted by you. My queens. Okay. So, are you the new, young, hot, black author, black gay author? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we're starting to move, and because of like what you were noting, like the work you've done with, you did it at TIFF, you know, and, and that we are seeing in publishing, I think we're moving um, away from the, there can only be one, one. you know, and that there's more space. So I feel more of like a sense of generation. Mm. I feel like I have a lot of peers, which is exciting, right? Mm. I mean, you know, there's Janice Smith, wonderful poet, mm. you know, certainly Roxanne, um, Jeremy O'Harris, he's a young black playwright, slave plays on Broadway right now. Yeah, yeah, I've hung out with him, we've had dinner, you know mm. what I mean? And so it, it feels like there's this moment where, and Terrell Alvin McCraney, who I think is just mm. tremendous, you know what I mean? So I feel like there are, My I'm brothers, a part of a right? generation, huh? Terrell wrote Brothers? Terrell wrote the Brother Sister plays, yeah, the brother, sister. Um, and he wrote the screenplay for Moonlight. Okay. Yeah. We have time for a couple of very quick questions. Okay. I always get to ask the first one. Okay. I love, she's, like, it on. she's like, it's in my contract. Yeah. I love it. Thanks. You started by saying we are all fighting for our lives. 
Is it important that we talk about that fight? I think so. I think so. We have to have purpose, you know, because sometimes you can just be like, it's all about me. I'm sure it's, the point is not to then go, well, I'm fighting for my life, so I, I get to be a jerk now. You know, it's, it's not that. I think it, it's recognizing that we're all struggling. And when we're struggling, we make mistakes. You see, I make a lot of mistakes in the book. I'm not, I'm not always kind. I'm, in fact, very hurtful when I'm struggling. So I think it's, it's like context for us to keep in mind and go, oh, okay, what's, what can we do? And then, and that's the starting point for work. You know what I mean? I'm interested in what happens when two people are in a space, Said and his grandmother, there's no antagonist. They're both trying their best. She did everything she did because she loves me. Mm-hmm. It was wrong, but she, she did it sincerely and hurts still happen, right? So how do we, how do we deal with that? Thank you. I'm so glad I get to ask you this because I was in the car alone driving to go pick up my kids and the New York Times Book Review podcast was on and you were being interviewed by Pamela Paul and I was like, you know what, I'd ask him. And then I forgot you were even coming in and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I love it. Thinking about memoir and, and you're, you're a young writer and the cliche is, is <laughs> upcoming birthday notwithstanding. And you know, the, 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 the temptation to, you know, the cliche is, is wait until everyone, all, all of the named are dead. Mm-hmm. And you haven't done that. You've written, you, and you've written young and it's sort of, the thing that makes me think of is, do you perhaps wish, I mean, you're the person you are now who writes mm-hmm. this memory of yourself then. Right. Do you perhaps wish that the person you used to be maybe had, had captured this in his own view? Oh, no. No. <laughs> he's, he's better. No, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, you know, I, I think part of youth is delusion. I was delusional. You know, I really, you know, you, I, I think one of the reasons, you know, that it's so hard in our, our struggle is that someone can go, Saeed, you look like you're struggling, right? And 90% of us would respond, no, I'm not. Like, what do you mean? You know, we take it personal, we're offended, we're hurt. We, we feel too uncomfortably seen. And so we resist it, you know? So I think, yeah, if I, and I try, you know, um, something you see, the, the reason I say a decade, right, is that this is 2019. One of the climaxes of the book, someone does literally try to kill me my senior year of college. And I started writing about it right away, you know? And you, you see in the book, I'm not accurately depicting what happened. And I wanted to show that in the book, how we try to maintain control even as we're losing it. So yeah, I think if Said was still going through the heat of, of those particular dynamics, maybe it would have been pretty, maybe it would have been whatever, you know? I've read my diary. I wasn't a very good writer when I was younger, but I think it also just wouldn't have been you know, it, it just takes time, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I never ask questions. At oh, time. I love this. Okay. And I'm very nervous. Okay. <laughs> so I wrote it on my phone. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. A woman with a plan. <laughs> She's like, I'm not just going to sit here and be nervous. I'm going to take action. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I listened to the audiobook version of your book, and I found that hearing your story in your own voice kind of added a whole other level of emotional impact for me as a reader. Mm-hmm. Did you find that you had an emotional distance from your story while you were recording the audiobook because you had already written it mm-hmm. and you just kind of had the job of reading it aloud? Or uh, did you find an emotional weight behind kind of reading every word of your story into existence for another person? Mm-hmm. I definitely, it definitely acted upon me. Yeah, uh, I think I, I write with a sense of distance. Uh, I write with a sense of distance and a kind of coldness, but reading it, and I did, I recorded it this summer, two days, which is pretty intense. And you're just, you're just like alone in the studio and there's like the, the engineer and then the guy outside, you know, and they would only tell me kind of at the end of a page, at the bottom right. of a page, you, you stumbled on this word or, you know, whatever. 
so you, a serenity kind of takes over. And yeah, so I think just the time, reading it in such a fast, you know, compressed space, the silence I was when I didn't have my phone. And yeah, I mean, the, it's, we know writing something is different than speaking something, right? And absolutely, I mean, saying some of the dialogue I found actually really emotional and I would have to kind of check myself, even simple stuff, like the first time I realized I'm speaking in my mother's voice. That was a moment, <laughs> you know, or painful things that were said, like the pastor, that was hard, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it did impact me. And then the, the end of the book, I mean, when my mom passes away in it, that was really difficult. And the, the producer was very subtly like, would you like to take a break? It's like, yeah. And I went in the restroom like, oh my gosh. And then reading the acknowledgements is actually when I started crying, you know, because just thanking, you all know how many people it takes to publish a book, any book. Um, and it takes far more to publish a good book. So, you know, I just felt tremendous gratitude and it was overwhelming. So it was cool. But also the other thing is it's helped me understand how readers feel. Because I write with a sense of distance, when the galleys went out in May and I hadn't done the recording yet, I, like, when people were like, I was crying. So I was like, thank you. I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. But when I was reading it out loud, I could feel the waves. And then you literally end up in the ocean at the bit. And I was like, oh, my God, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was special and cool. I don't know if I ever want to do it again. <laughs> One you. last question. Yeah. Jen? Thank you for that. Hi, Queen. You saw how nervous I was getting, right? I was like, I'm not going to be able to ask my question. Oh, no, no. So uh, nonfiction, mm -hmm. we all know that it's extremely powerful. And I credit certain memoirs for finding me at the right time in my life and saving my life for giving me hope, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't read your book yet, but it seems like it could be one of those books for a lot of people. And so my question, I guess, to you, I know you spoke a bit about James Baldwin and everything, but were there certain memoirs or even just books mm. that you yourself credit for you know, saving oh, your life or giving you hope? And what would those be? Absolutely. I don't, you know, I, hope is not, I guess it's what I arrived at, but hope isn't something I think about. But um, Mary Carr, The Liars Club in particular, and again, like just, you know, she's writing about East Texas, which is very different from where I grew up, but she captures the voice of that part of this and that was powerful and the lyricism i mean i it, that, her writing and then cherry which was the, the follow-up um it was a book i went back and studied because i loved i felt you know i am a poet but the book is not written in verse but i, I tried to bring the lyricism mm -hmm. into it and I, I think mary carr showed me how to do that um so she's a writer i look to and then baldwin you know i i read um no name in the street this summer, and I think you should read it if you haven't. It's his memoir that he writes in the 70s. So it's, um, and it opens basically with Martin Luther King Jr. being assassinated, and then Malcolm X is assassinated. And he's spending time with the Black Panthers. He's being pulled to Hollywood. A friend of his is unjustly arrested. It's like all happening. And it's a very different color of Baldwin. I mean, he still does move towards hope and love always. That's just the miracle of the person he was, but he is really shook. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think reading it in summer of 2019 was just so powerful when we're just like, what is happening? It, you know, it's like, I'm looking at my memoir and I'm like, are things better or worse than 1998? I actually don't know, you know? And so to see him really honestly capture that as well as class differences, uh, it opens with him mentioning that after MLK died, he was wearing a suit and he said that he'll never wear that suit again because he was so heartbroken. He said in an interview, it was very beautiful. And then one of his childhood friends calls him and says, I need that suit. It's, it's really lovely that you can afford to not wear that suit anymore. 
but if you don't want it, I will. Yeah. And so he has to go home and he's like, you know, so it's just a, it's a powerful memoir and it's a powerful uh, look at this person whom I think we know well, but I felt like I was seeing it in a different way. Yeah. Thank you. It's a great book list, everybody. Write those books down. <laughs> go read them on Kobo. And top yes. of the list, <laughs> top of the list, of course, is how we fight for our lives. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I think one of our very best. So thank you. Thank you all. That was Saeed Jones and Maxine Bailey in conversation as a part of Kobo in Conversation Live here at Kobo's offices in Liberty Village, Toronto, Canada. Jones's latest book is How We Fight for Our Lives. You can find a link to that book and previous episodes at kobo.com slash conversation. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review so others can find out the glory that is Kobo in Conversation and also check out our sibling podcast, Kobo Writing Life, all about the nuts and bolts of making it as an independent author. Thank you for listening.